There's a blood red circle on a cold dark ground And the rain is falling down Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of Set Lusting Bruce Or should I call it Set Lusting Pearl Jam? That's right, today we are... Still going to talk a little Bruce, but we're kind of just going to go into the past of other musicians and other fans. And joining me today is Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Hello, Jesse. Hey, everyone. Wendy and I are, I have been a fan of Wendy's podcasting for a very long time. She is one of the hosts of Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. As I still say, it's nothing but the good stuff. You know, a lot of podcasts discuss TV but Wendy, Brent, and Kevin just talk about the genre TV that we all love. She's also had me on a Game of Thrones podcast. That's always fun. In Wendy's biography on her website, she talks about if she's not watching genre TV, she's hoping that she's at a Pearl Jam concert. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. And uh, I have to point out that Jesse is one of our probably first or second fans of tuning into sci-fi tv or at least he's one of the first or second who ever contacted us directly <laughs> so uh we consider him uh, sort of one of the the key founders of yes. our community the, i think jesse's underplaying his participation in our game of thrones bonus shows he is one of our members of the small council brings an Always an interesting perspective to the show. We have such a blast. It is, in fact, we did more Game of Thrones bonus episodes than there were Game of Thrones episodes this time. <laughs> we did almost double. Yeah, we Our, did. The next show is going to be bonus show number 19 oh, yeah. for a TV show that had 10 episodes. Yes. <laughs> and it wasn't just, you would think, okay, well, sure, they did a pregame and then they did a postgame. But no, we, we kept discussing and doing things, and it's absolutely wonderful. Wendy and I have talked to Bruce often through Twitter and through postings on the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV forum. I knew she was a pretty strong Bruce fan, though uh, Pearl Jam kind of first in her heart. Since this is Set Lusting Bruce, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your Bruce background and maybe your musical background as a whole, your era you grew up on, what kind of music you loved growing up in your teenage years, and kind of how you fan found Bruce, and then we'll talk about how you found Pearl Jam. Oh, okay. Was so, that vague enough? Is that a vague enough? No, that, that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great start. If I think about my musical influences, I'll go with, uh, I'll start with my parents, right? So my parents were born in the 20s. They definitely loved like swing, jazz. Uh, when I was a kid in the late 60s through the 70s, you know, Lawrence Welk was on a lot. <laughs> We, you know, there was always music. My parents loved to dance. They were, they did uh, square dancing, what's called round dancing, which is ballroom dancing that's, yes. um, you know, orchestrated. Uh, they loved Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and, you know, all that stuff. All my brothers and sisters are older than me. They're true baby boomers. And my sister Judy in particular uh, used to let me come in a room and listen to her music. So, I listened to Carol King and 
Um, my first 45 record was Elton John singing Benny and the Jets. And the first album I ever bought was probably Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Piano Man. My first eight track I paid with my own money was Elton John's Greatest Hits. <laughs> and I loved Cat Stevens, you know, and then all the classic rock of the 70s, right? So Foreigner is from my hometown, Rochester. Actually, Foreigner played at my cousin's wedding, <laughs> although they weren't famous at the time. Oh, that's and pretty cool. In fact, um, all of our Italian relatives considered the wedding a horrible disaster because <laughs> of Foreigner, who was playing a rock concert at a wedding, which I'll I'll say was unorthodox for sure. Um, <laughs> so, but like the Who, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, um, you know, definitely those were Led Zeppelin. Those were sort of Eric Clapton. Those were all sort of big influences on me okay. as a kid. Um, and then, you know, in the 80s, I definitely went alternative. You know, I really loved R.E.M. I loved the police and the Smiths and the cult and the cure and the clash and pretty much any band with a the that was from England um, or the U.K., you know, I was on it. Echo and the Bunny Men, uh, Talking Heads, um, Elvis Costello. Those were all uh, bands I really liked, you know, in my college okay. college years. And then um, in the early 90s, um, well, actually, let me jump to my Bruce connection. Yes. I never really listened to Bruce until I dated a guy in um, the end of high school and college who was a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. And at that time, I was a huge alternative fan. Right. So to me, Bruce was like too, too mainstream. Yeah, too you know? commercial, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he wasn't. This was right when Born in the USA hadn't quite come out yet. Okay. It was about to come out. Um, but that was actually the first time I saw Bruce live was in Syracuse in 1985 on the Born in the USA tour. And that show was played right around, I think it was just after Christmas or just before Christmas. And they played Santa Claus is Coming to Town in the Closer, mm -hmm. which blew my mind that he would play that song. You know, little did I know he always yeah. plays that song um, <laughs> during the holidays. But right. at the time, I just thought it was, you know, really out of the box. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I really remember about that show, so the Syracuse, the Dome, it's huge. I, I can't remember how big it is. And the sound is horrible. It just has really, at that time, it had really bad, like, echoing effects and stuff. But the thing that really impressed me about Bruce was I really felt like he was talking to me. And, you know, he's telling these very small stories in a huge space. And he's just really able to connect with the audience. Um, and that's one thing that I definitely think he has in common with Pearl Jam right? Um, and Eddie Vedder's ability to connect with people in a totally different way. But it's that same idea that you're having a, a shared moment mm -hmm. uh, when you're at a live show. Um, I've also seen Bruce um, when he did a couple, he did one of his acoustic tours. I don't know, yep. like 10 years back, maybe I saw him in Buffalo. Okay. Um, that was at a more like a small solo thing. And then I've seen him at least twice in New Jersey because uh, I was working nice. for a while on mm -hmm. a project in New York City. 
Uh, one time we saw him at um, Giant Stadium. I think we, I think it was both times in, at Giant Stadium, but I, I'm not entirely remembering. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I think it was the same tour that you first saw him on. Okay. Um, actually, because uh, the Rising was definitely a key part of the set list sure. on that show. I remember. So that would well. have been 2002, and yes, that was the first time I saw him. Yeah. So yeah, wow. And then the other place where I kind of think of the a Pearl Jam connection, even though I didn't see Bruce on this tour, but it was when <clears throat> a bunch of artists got together for the Vote for Change tour. Yes. And, um, you know, Bruce was sort of the linchpin to get that thing up and running. And uh, I saw Pearl Jam. It's actually a couple of the most memorable Pearl Jam shows I've seen. Uh, I saw them in St. Louis and in Toledo, Ohio. And in Toledo, Neil Young actually uh, came out oh, <laughs> and joined them nice. on stage, which was awesome yeah but um but i always think that bruce was sort of there in spirit because it was almost that whole tour had a feeling like even though the bands were not all together they were all together so i always kind of think of bruce springsteen when i think of that tour um pearl jam i definitely listened to sort of all of the new music that was coming out of the northwest in the 90s um I was working on my first job, and I used to listen to 10 on my drive back and forth to work, Mm -hmm. and it was on a tape, so I could listen to side A on the drive in (laughs) and side (laughs) B on the drive home. Um, Not were organized or anything. (laughs) You had your ritual. Yeah, no, oh, totally. Yeah, I had, I definitely had a ritual. But you know, I loved all the, all those bands. Um, but Pearl Jam always stood out. Uh, you know, something about Ed's voice and the, the music. But Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana. I liked all those. Stone Temple Pilots. Um, you know, all, all those bands. I, I just liked that sound a lot. But I never saw Pearl Jam live. Um, I didn't see them at Lollapalooza's or any of that stuff. Um, They only played in Rochester like once or twice. They play in Buffalo pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. So I never had an opportunity to see them live. It wasn't that I didn't want to, but I just wasn't also really going to like travel around to see music either. And, you know, that's where I was too. Uh, You know, we had a young son. Um, The idea... You know, gosh, in the, you know, late 90s or, you know, the idea of how do you get tickets in another city and how do you plan this and how do you even know where they're going? And I just that wasn't part of my culture. It was like, oh, if the band comes to the Dallas area and growing up in Louisiana, we never saw big major bands. Um, so, you know, you someone come to Dallas, you're like, oh, OK, let's try to dial to get tickets. You know, so the idea of traveling to a show was something I would never think of. Yeah, no, same way with me. You know, we you might go to Syracuse or Buffalo because I live in Rochester, but that's as far as you're going to go. So I happen to be working in 1998 in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I saw an ad in the newspaper for Pearl Jam coming to play a place called the Canyons. I think it's called Wolf Mountain now, but it's in it's yeah. near Park City, Utah. So it's like 40 minutes outside Salt Lake. And I had a coworker who was from Turkey and she had seen or her sister had seen Pearl Jam 
in Istanbul in 1996 on the No Code Tour. And she was like, oh, my sister saw them. They were outstanding. Let's go get tickets to the show. So we got lawn tickets. We got there just as the opening band is finishing kind of thing. You know, we didn't get there early or anything like that. And uh, the first song that Ed sang was Release, which is one of my favorite songs. I never expected to hear it because it wasn't a radio single from 10. So I had no idea how many other people liked that song besides me. And I was stunned by his voice, how powerful his voice was. And, um, and then the rest of that show just blew my mind with how accomplished they are as musicians and also just what the crowd brought to it because, uh, you know, a lot of people who go to Pearl Jam shows are guys, especially back at that time. And they're all singing along to Better Man and Daughter. And <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of impressed with your audience, Pearl Jam. So um, after that show, I was hooked. And the funny thing is I, I was working on a project in Utah, but I actually lived in Virginia. So the very next day, I went on the internet and started searching for <laughs> Pearl Jam information. And actually, Pearl Jam is sort of the gateway to me finding fan fan forums and the whole internet world um, of fandom. And I found out, so this was on the yield tour. Mm -hmm. That was the album that was, they were touring on. And uh, I found out that they were going to play in Virginia. So I ended up getting tickets to go to two more shows on that tour. And, you know, then things quieted down a little bit. And my friend Bonnie was like, when is this thing going to subside? Like, when is your obsession going to subside? And I'm like, I don't know. It'll probably be like six months, right? Because they're not going to have another album for a while. I'm not going to see them anywhere. And, you know, here I am in 20, 2015, still hasn't subsided. I've, uh, I've seen 71 Pearl Jam shows, wow. give or take. And I've probably seen about 10... So I'll call them side project shows of just somebody solo in their side side mm-hmm. band projects. Um, and I don't see myself stopping. <laughs> and I've, I've seen them in the U.S., in Canada, in Italy, in Mexico, hoping to see them in another country uh, the next time they tour, too. So I know that we were fairly uh, – um, tuning into Sci-Fi TV had just started – um, at, at least it felt like it was fairly new. It may be in a year or so, but you know, you emailed me and said, um, Pearl Jam is going to be in Austin for South by Southwest or some, I don't remember the, um, you probably remember the festival, but do you have any suggestions on Austin? I'm like, yeah, you know, so I'm going to my wife, like, Hey, this Wendy from the podcast wants to know. And so we gave you, you know, suggestions on, you know, restaurants and things. You guys didn't have a car and everything. And uh, I was like, wow, she's she's flying into Austin just to see the band to do the festival. And I just thought that was really cool. Well, I have to tell you, it's probably one of the only reasons I would have to go to Texas because I didn't know you before right. then. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, uh, this was back in 2009. Uh, we went to Austin. Uh, Pearl Jam was headlining the ACL Austin city limits music festival. That's what it was. And they were also recording at 
the University of Texas at the ACL studio for Austin City Limits that runs on PBS. Right. And uh, when we went, we we uh, couldn't get tickets to go to that ACL taping. Right. Um, and it also turned out that it was horrible rain the first the first day of the ACL fest. So <laughs> we actually were like, we don't want to go stand around in the mud all day. So instead, we went to the university trying to find a way to get tickets to this taping that was right. going on. And what happened was they actually opened up a studio and a live feed for the overflow people to sit in. So we actually got to see the whole taping of the Austin City Limits show through this satellite feed. So it was like we were sitting, you yeah, know, that's... in the studio sure. and and it was awesome. That was uh, because this was on the the Backspacer tour. It was just starting. Mm-hmm. So we were hearing songs that they'd only played maybe once, uh, which is always very unusual when you go see bands that are sort of trying out new stuff for the first time. Right. There's a there's an energy and an excitement that they have that they don't have, you know, <clears throat> the songs that are old have a different kind of energy to them than <laughs> excuse me, than when somebody's playing something for the first time or the second time, you know. Um so that was that was uh, definitely one of a really memorable show because uh, the taping was fantastic, and then the next day we went to um, the uh, to, to the festival, and it yeah. was a massive heap of mud. Right. But we got all the way to the front, and uh, it was awesome because they had this divider in the middle, and Ed jumped off the stage and ran through the middle, and he actually like high fived us on the way back up to the stage, and. It was a really fun show, and I would highly recommend the ACL Music Fest. There was just uh, some outstanding people. It's a nice yeah. venue. Um, I really liked Austin. We we toured um, the LBJ Presidential Library. It's that outstanding. Was, uh, yeah, that was one of the suggestions I gave you, and yeah. and I remember you telling me it was. In in regardless of the politics, anytime you get to go to a presidential library, it's just really cool. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but that, so that whole little vignette I just yeah. told people about Austin is really typical of what happens whenever I plan to go someplace yeah. <laughs> to see Pearl Jam. Um, I went to Mexico. Uh, they were playing in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. I think it was in 2003, I think. It yeah. could be 2000. I could be wrong. Sorry. But um, I think it was 2000. And I actually turned going to Mexico City for three nights of shows into a two-week vacation. Oh. I brought some friends with me. We went to um, Chichen Itza and Uxmal and mm-hmm. um, had a fantastic experience out of it so that's the kind of uh fun stuff that happens when you go see a band in another place uh you know i've not seen bruce um out of you know out of the u.s um i'm happy that i've gone to other states now but um a friend of mine um was telling me a few years ago uh, and i'm hoping to get him on the show uh but they were like vacationing in Spain, just uh, totally independent. And 
and his wife Emily said, "Vinny, Bruce is here." <laughs> it, like you know, three or four hours away. He's like, okay. <laughs> and he said, you know, that was the first time he had seen Springsteen perform in a different country. And he said the same thing. It's a totally different vibe that, you know, because um, English isn't the primary language, but he's performing and they all know the songs. And he said, there's an energy to that. So do you find that when you're going overseas or uh, visiting Pearl Jam shows, the same kind of vibe or... Yeah, definitely when I was in Mexico, um, you know, I'd heard the band say stuff about how just the enthusiasm of the crowds is so big because they don't tour there all the time. So uh, when I went to see them in Mexico, I don't think, I'm not sure if they'd played there at all or if it'd been a really long time since they had last played there. So so it was like there was going to be a stampede. I mean, so (laughs) at that show, Slater Kinney was the opener. Now, Slater Kinney is a punk band from Seattle. It's all women. It's an awesome band. Um, It uh, broke up for a little while, but it just reformed. And, you know, most people in America do not know Slater Kinney, right? So nobody in Mexico (laughs) knows Slater Kinney. We go into the stadium. First of all, the stadium is entirely surrounded by people selling illegal t-shirts, right? Okay. which are all covered with Pearl Jam stuff, you know, really old stuff, like four albums ago artwork that they're selling on T-shirts, right? So okay. the enthusiasm is very high, right? So it's like, wow, there's all these bootleg shirts, you know. You never see that anymore in the U.S. No. And um, we get inside the venue, and it is full. Everyone is in there. And I'm like, everyone's here for Slater Kinney. They started doing the soccer Olay chant for Slater Kinney. (laughs) So I'm just like, okay, this is going to be off the chain. And it was. It was so loud. Um, It was really funny because uh, they they kept chanting. They would chant Eddie, which Eddie Vedder doesn't like that. He tries to, like, stop people from doing that. Okay. Um, But... uh, they were also chanting Vivo, which is Spanish for alive, and Jeremy, but they were pronouncing it Jeremy. <laughs> and um, th- there was all kinds of um, light- lighters it going, because this is still before the cell phone illumination right. had uh, replaced it. So it was full of lighters. They're all flicking in time to the music. Um, it was it was crazy energy in well, Mexico. It sounds, it sounds really fun. Yeah. And then the other one that I'll tell people about is in 2006, I went to Italy for three shows. And again, but by this point, I'd actually made some Pearl, well, I call them my Pearl Jam friends, right? So the right. people I met online who we met up, we all actually met up in Seattle for some shows and then, um, you know, became friends and met up all over the place. But we went to Italy and we went to um, Milan, Bologna, and Verona. And in Verona, they actually had a forum that the concert was played in. And if you ever see this DVD uh, that's for the tour, there's um, footage shot inside this amazing venue. But it rained. <laughs> it mm-hmm. like pouring down rained. So... Whenever there's adversity like that, the band always like steps it up extra hard. 
So the crowd was like, we're committed, we're here, we're freezing, we're drenched, but you know, yeah. we're here. And and that always brings a sort of a unique energy to a show too. Yeah. So that one was super memorable um, as well. So a couple of questions that uh, like, are, are you a pit person? If at all possible, do you like being down on the floor in the pit versus a, um, you know, a set seat? Oh, so let me explain how Pearl Jam shows work now. Please so um, so back in the day when people think about grunge and the mosh pit and all that right. stuff. Okay, I never went to a show <laughs> when they did that, right? So by 1998... They had definitely gotten the crowd more under control in terms of, you know, there's no, um, you know, crowd surfing or any of that kind of stuff going on. Um, And in fact, very few shows uh, would have general admission at all in the front, especially in big venues. So that that continued for a long time. So um, a lot of times, even when you were in the front, you'd still have seating, uh, you know, those fold-down chair kind of yeah because okay that's interesting because you know bruce still has the whole pit thing and they you know you get your aren't you get your and, band and you pick yeah. you know the <clears throat> yeah. lottery for the number yeah but the way that things work with pearl jam and i think it's probably similar with bruce it's through the fan club Okay. So if you're a fan club member, you get preference for those general admission tickets. Okay. So a lot of people who are longtime fan club members tend to be doing that. So those are people, you know, in our age range who are not going to mosh. <laughs> right. So the front is nice and calm. Okay. Would be my point. Uh, you just have to stand a really long time to get in. But um, I, if... I have been to a couple of times seen Pearl Jam in small venues. Uh, they played yeah. in Seattle at the Showbox, and they had general admission that was more like the old days. And that got a little rowdy, but you could still avoid sort of the people who were too enthusiastic. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, for me, I love being in the front. Mm-hmm. I, also, one of my Pearl Jam buddies is like four and a half feet tall, so she insists on always trying to be in the front. Yes. Did um, now? How about have you gone to? You mentioned seeing Bruce when he was doing the solo thing that's going tour. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's you- also fun to go behind. Like I've been at some uh, concerts where. I've sat behind the stage oh. and that's always interesting because you get to see the drummer work a little bit more, which yes. Matt Cameron is a phenomenal drummer. Uh, but also you see sort of all the, all the worker bees doing right. their stuff, which, um, you know, Pearl Jam has a, a crew that's been working with them for a long time. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of guitars to coordinate and, So I'm not hearing you now. Um, uh, one of my favorite things on um, the tour that they just did, uh, they they don't have an elaborate stage set up. You know, it's not like going to see you two. Right. Lights in that that drop down and. 
one night I actually happened to be at the show where this happened. One of the lights came down like extra low and Eddie Vedder started whacking it like a tether ball. And, mm-hmm. and then they started whacking all of them like tether balls. And then he climbed on top of one of them and he's swinging on it. And then he, and, and he used to do this a lot when they first started out, he used to climb things. Yeah. Uh, and not in, in a very scary way. Um, <laughs> so he started swinging on this light fixture <laughs> and stuff and, <laughs> and, you know, things happen. Like you lose your microphone or, right. you know, you have to get back. <laughs> So that's always fun to see how the band and the the technicians try to um, respond when he does those sort of spontaneous things, too. So, Wendy, when you go to a show um, and you go to a show and you're seeing, you know, like three, the same city in three different shows. So is it like Bruce where they do a very diverse um, set where you get a lot of surprises or a, a nice mix of songs? Oh, no. Pearl Jam changes their set list every night. Okay. Um, they're kind of known for that. Okay. And um, and probably, you know, they've done that from the start. And okay. <laughs> uh, Ed always jokes about, he's like, I want to make them the same, but I just can't. I don't right. know why. <laughs> I just can't. So that that's the fun thing because a lot of times – the, the set list will have a theme to it uh, okay. that might be influenced by current events. Oh, uh, certainly, certainly if they're on, uh, in, in particular, tones that have meaning to them for different reasons, <clears throat> a lot of times that'll influence covers that they sing. Okay. So, for instance, a lot of times if they're in Canada, if they go to Toronto, they'll pull out a Neil Young cover. Uh, certainly if they're in New Jersey, they are covering Bruce um, yes. for sure. Uh, when they go to Chicago is where the Chicago area is where Eddie Vedder grew up. Um, there's lots of stuff that they play there okay. because they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they go to Australia, they play certain covers that they don't really play too much anyplace else. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> I mean, sometimes that'll write a song and sing part of it you know I, was, I wrote this song today and he'll sing a little piece of it so that's the the fun part and we always say that um you know you kind of know what's going to happen in terms of they're going to follow the set list generally through the first 10 songs right and then after that you know we we say ed starts calling audibles and you know they'll just <laughs> do whatever they want and um, vary up the set list quite a bit. So there, there's also times where they might have guests who request stuff right. that they don't necessarily give them what they request, but right. they listen to it and they'll, you know, be influenced by it. But okay. they definitely, um, you know, certain, certain times, certainly when the Iraq war was first starting, um, mm-hmm. and that whole tour in, um, 2002 I think you know they were covering I am a patriot and know your rights and okay. um, <clears throat> you know they're definitely hitting uh, some messages not hard sure. um, but you know they were concerned yeah, <laughs> about they, stuff and it would show up in the right. set list uh, um, for sure length of the average show oh three hours okay it's the general length okay. um so, 
the the fun thing for me regarding the set list is a lot of time, and especially in the I'll call it the old days. So, as the fan the fan club has sort of evolved its processes, uh, back in when I first joined the fan club, you didn't know where your seat was going to be. You had to line up at the box office to get your tickets. Okay. So it wasn't by your fan club number, which is okay. how it works today. All so. Right. So you'd literally get to the the venue the day of the show. You'd find out what time does the box office open. Generally, you'd get in line at like eight o'clock in the morning and start making friends with everyone in the line, so that you know they would hold your spot when you had to go get food or go to the bathroom or whatever. And one of the the pastimes of doing uh, you know spending time in that line is predicting the set list. What are they going to open with? Right. Uh, you know, the kind of stuff. What are we going to hear tonight? Um, so that's always fun. And then it's always fun to talk with people who I'll call it like hop on and hop off the tour. Cause there's some fans who they'll, they'll get on, they'll, they'll go to like a bunch of shows in a row. They'll take a week right. of vacation or they might go to every show that's on a weekend, right? you know, travel to it. Um, the one thing I try to do now is I try to go to shows uh, because I, d- I have, a pretty good fan club number because I joined in 1998, but I don't have the best, right? The people right. who have the best numbers joined in 1991, yeah. right? And they haven't given up their fan club right. <laughs> memberships, right? So um, until they die, I'm never going to be really in the <laughs> Not that you're wishing death on anyone. No, not, no I'm, I'm just going by the math, right? Right, you know, yes. Mathematically, I, they have to be out of the picture somehow. Right. So, um now I try to think about going to places that people don't want to go to so much okay. or they're a little hard to get to. So like, I love going to hear Pearl Jam play in New York. They love New York city. They love playing Madison square garden, but those tickets are really hard to get. Everybody sure. wants to go to the show. So now it's like, Oh, I need to find some out of the way place. <laughs> so then I'll get a better seat. Okay. That sounds <laughs> right? good. Right. So you start doing that kind of math. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, you know, different places mean different things to the band. So the, the energy is going to be different. Seeing Pearl Jam in Seattle yes. is like seeing Bruce Springsteen if you went to see him in New Jersey, if you went to, you know, the Stone Pony or something. Okay. That, that's going to have an energy that's different than seeing them in other places. Okay. I could see that. Okay. Um, wow, this is fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of going off. Your no, no, but... you're perfect. This is exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, you know, is is there rarities? Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll talk uh, when I was in Nashville for the Bruce show. And this was really the kind of first show I went by myself and and i met a bunch of online bruce fans before and kind of the experience you're talking about you make friends with these online people and we're talking and you know there was a lot of discussion about what song are you chasing you know what song do you want to hear live um are there songs that are rarities that you and i'm kind of jumping ahead on my agenda but you know as you've seen him is there a couple of songs that you would want to hear the band do that you've heard very rarely or have never heard? Well, there aren't any songs that I've never heard okay. that I'm sort of chasing, but I do vividly 
vividly remember sort of getting the songs that I had been chasing. Okay. Um, and the story? shows in which those occurred. Right? Do you have a story of one of those that you um, want? To... Sure, I'll tell you two. Because because okay. one is is the the irony of of going to see live music sometimes. So okay. um, I think this was back in two thousand and three, maybe. I so I was picking all the places that I would go see Pearl Jam based on people I knew that I could stay with. So sure. I have a very good friend who lives in St. Louis. So I've seen Pearl Jam in St. Louis many times. So I'm going to stop you there. You now have a you know that you can throw Dallas in there. I know. <laughs> so you go, hey Linda, I'm Wendy. <laughs> you exactly. don't know me, but Jesse and I are podcast buddies. <laughs> and uh, okay, so go ahead, continue. Well, the other thing is usually if uh, if that happens, so when you get your fan club tickets, you get two tickets. So I often will offer my extra ticket to my host, uh, and it's usually I'm I'm selfish because I'm trying to entice them into getting interested in Pearl Jam. Sure, absolutely. Although at this point my sister and her family are fully entrenched in Pearl Jam and I have these other friends so I'm not recruiting as hard as I used okay. to for okay. Pearl Jam but uh, but I'm I'm always willing to offer offer that and if I ever did come to Dallas to see oh, Pearl I would, Jam, have... I, would I would absolutely bring you with me oh, this would be awesome <laughs> so um yeah or we could go see Bruce together someplace so yeah we do need to do that I will tell you that um, I guess uh, Eddie Vedder was doing a, a solo tour, and I want to talk to you about that. Like, what, I, I, I thought I swear he was going to be here in Dallas at the Hogger Cafe or something. It was just going to be him, like like the Devils and Dust tour Bruce did. And I was like, I want to go. And my friend's like, why? Well, he does these great Bruce covers. You're going to go see this guy. You know nothing about his music just in case he does a Bruce cover. Wow, when you put it that way, it doesn't seem very smart. <laughs> so, but now then I'd have uh, I'd have a guide to take me. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah, Ed has done a couple solo tours. He has a couple solo albums. He did a tour for Into the Wild. Uh, that he did the music for that movie, and um, he did a, a ukulele album that he toured on. Uh, and he will tour solo, sort of, um, you know before or after the Pearl Jam tour going on. So okay. like they're touring in South America. He added on a couple solo shows of his own. He's done that in Australia and other places. Okay. Too. So, uh, but I want to come back to yes, the, you're going the to finally getting, right. getting the, getting the song. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have two stories. One is um, a cover that I had always wanted to hear, which was rocking in the free world, which is a Neil Young song. Great song. And uh, at that time they weren't, they didn't sing it all that much. Uh, they do now a lot more. Um, but uh, I went out to St. Louis and I also went to Kansas City. And my friend Mary didn't want to go to see them twice. So I went to Kansas City by myself. And I didn't gone to a lot of shows by myself. But this turned out to be a show full of what I call knuckleheads, right? It was a lot of guys, a lot of drunk guys. So the people around me were horrible. It was one of the worst crowd experiences mm. I've ever had okay. <laughs> of just basically being harassed. Um, but I got to hear Rockin' in the Free World. <laughs> so, okay, great. so it was like, okay, so Candy's on the map for being one of the worst crowds ever, but the place where I got to hear Rockin' in the yes. Free World for the first time. Uh, one of the other songs that I absolutely love is... Um, Oh, 
shoot, sorry, um, Faithful, and also um, Tremor Christ, which Faithful is off of the Yield album, and Tremor Christ is off Vitalogy, which came out in like 1994. And they don't play those songs very often. But Pearl Jam did this very special thing. They played up around Boston. The Boston area is actually um, a suburb of Boston. But they actually played every song in their catalog over three nights. Wow. Yeah. They even were their own opening band (laughs) playing acoustic. They play like an hour acoustic. Then they would come out and play the show so that they could get through everything in the catalog up to that point, which I think this was on the Riot Act tour. So Wow, that's impressive. <clears throat> it was. <laughs> so um, I was working on a project down in New York City. My Pearl Jam tour friends are in New York City, too. So we just drove up there to go because we had heard that they were doing this. So we missed the first night, but we went to the next two nights, and we just – drove up without tickets to get tickets. And then we heard these songs and it was like, Oh, finally. And, uh, it was one of those totally spontaneous kinds of things too. So, uh, it was super special, super fun. You know, we had terrible seats, but we were there. So right. That's kind of the fun part about it for sure. Wow. That's, that's awesome. You know, um, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it really quick. I had seen Bruce seven times and had never heard Thunder Road live. It just by pure circumstances. Yeah. Just, you know, hadn't, just had hadn't out. gotten up yet. And so I'm like, gosh, I'd really want to see Thunder Road. I want a Thunder Road. And so when he did the Dallas show that was for the NCAA tournament, he closed with Thunder Road and, and uh, Patty sang background. It was just him and, um the guitar and harmonica and it was just beautiful it was just awesome like yes i scratched that off and then um during that tour he either ended in thunder road or he would do the cover of dream baby dream with him playing the pump organ and uh (laughs) and all three times i saw him he did thunder road and i was like okay i really wanted to do baby <laughs> dream but i can't complain right that you know yeah. it, it, so i'm like okay well this those things happen yeah they do happen and and definitely you know there's times when the band sort of falls in love with playing a song yes and you're like okay i'm over it um yeah. there's a song it's a cover actually called crazy mary mm-hmm. that um the band was playing a lot for a while and they would close with it. And I'm like, or it'd be in the last part of the set. And my friends and I, we get a little frustrated because it's like, you're going to play crazy Mary. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, there's other people who are just, you know, beside themselves. They're so excited to hear the song. And, um, you know, we're like, yeah, it's crazy Mary. <laughs> I had a, a uh, some blogger wrote, um, we, we need to get used to hearing Bruce do Waiting on a Sunny Day because it appears he really likes playing Waiting on a Sunny Day, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, yeah, so there, there, there it goes. Um, so, gosh, you've just shared so much. Um, is, I'll give you a chance. Is there any albums or songs that mean a great deal to you, or is there something about that? you know, where a song or that the band or one of the members kind of helped you get through a tough time? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I would have to say 
well, one of my favorite albums, and I have to admit, you know, I don't listen to the albums a lot because okay. I listen to shows. Right. I tend to listen to live shows, especially ones that I went to. Um, By the way, I do the same thing. Now that Bruce is offering, you know, the shows you can download, I tend to not – I listen to the new albums, of course, when it comes out to kind of get used to it. But I spend more time just listening to a show. Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. So um, – but there's still a couple of albums that I will listen to that album – I kind of put Yield in a special place because that was the album that was featured on the 98 tour when I saw them live. And the first side of that album is there's so many songs on there I love. Um, Do the Evolutions, definitely in my top 10, if not my top five favorite songs. Wish List, Faithful, um, Given to Fly. Those are all songs that I never get tired of hearing played live um i'll also listen to vitalogy all the way through which was their third album it has better man on it immortality um nothing man the the lots of good stuff on that one too um but like i said a lot of times i'll just listen to a show uh, another album that I like to listen to is No Code, which uh, <laughs> No Code is sort of their pullback from super crazy popularity. Um, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but in um, 1995, 96, uh, Neil Young offered the band to be his band on a tour wow. uh, for Mirrorball, was the album. And so um, the, the band, that's why the band plays Rockin' in the Free World. You know, they learned how to play it touring okay. with Neil, basically. And um, it was a really tough time because it's kind of one of the differences between Eddie Vedder's sort of, you know, place in music, um, in the musical venue and, and other people, because he could have very easily become a person who's, um, you know, bigger than, bigger than himself in a lot of ways, Uh because there was so much media attention and focus like right out of the gate uh, because of that whole Seattle grunge stuff. And it was really destructive for him and, and Kurt Cobain, obviously, and Lane Staley. I mean, just a lot of people were really uh, not able to handle that so, um, and he had a problem with stalkers. Okay. So, so Ed was really like, you know, I love playing music, but everything else really sucks right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Neil Young was really instrumental in sort of helping the band through that by, uh, you know, the band probably was probably the closest it ever was to breaking up. And one of the things that all of the band members always talk about is how, one thing that always frustrated them was their favorite bands broke up. <laughs> it's like, right. we don't want to be that band. Right. So the, so the rest of the band went on tour with Neil Young and, and then later they made the album, no code, which is very heavily influenced by Neil Young. And I didn't know any of this at the time when I heard the album, I just listened to it and I was like, God, it sounds a lot like Neil Young. <laughs> you know, I had no, yeah. I was like, wow, somebody's been listening to their Neil Young records, but, uh, but I loved it. But that's a, that's an album 
that is kind of a make or break for a lot of Pearl Jam fans. Okay. Most hardcore Pearl Jam fans really love No Code. Okay. Um, and a lot of people who don't even know the album exists. But um, it's some of the best live songs from No Code uh, pop up regularly. Present Tense is uh, one in particular that Mike McCready just plays so beautifully. And so we're we're running. I know I'm I'm going no, way no, long. No, I you're, apologize. You're awesome. No, it's great. <laughs> um, and so can you? What it it appears that there is a connection between, um, especially Eddie and Bruce. So can you share anything with that? What you know about it, and and kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, I think Ed's been very clearly influenced by Bruce and a lot of the same records that I hold dear with Bruce. Um, You know, for me, it's uh, Orange Run, The River, Nebraska. I love Nebraska. Sure. Um, You know, Born in the USA, I like, um, but it was it was more of a departure. You know, that was more poppy. Yes. To me. Yeah. and, and then well, his more recent stuff I really like. Yeah, I uh, do. For sure. But, um, you know, Ed covers a lot of, has covered a lot of Bruce songs. And um, a lot of the songs that I love, he sings, right? <laughs> so, he, he does seem to do it. He does some great covers. You sent me some links. I remember after Clarence Clement died, he was on Late Night and with mm-hmm. his mandolin, right? And he, 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 you know, had Clarence, I think, on the back and uh, did a song. And you could tell it was just this wonderful, you know, tribute um, to Clarence. And um, it, he does a great, some great songs of Springsteen's. So, um, and, and it seems like Bruce really admires them as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think Bruce is, you know, he's he's an influence. He's like one generation ahead. Yeah. And I think that Ed really values um, what what Bruce has done, you know, his legacy. I think he definitely aspires to to write as well as Bruce does. Um, there's a funny there's a funny story. I remember him telling at a show. Uh, he was actually introducing. I don't, I, think, I don't know if it was Last Kiss or something after that, but he was making a joke about um, writing songs about cars and mm-hmm. also um, death, okay. <laughs> teenage death. <laughs> and he said, you know, we don't have quite as many car songs as Bruce, but I think we're coming up on number two. <laughs> and, um, I, and I mean, I think there's uh, Bruce is more of a storyteller yeah. in his in his writing than Ed is. Ed, uh, you know, is a surfer. And to me, a lot of songs are approached that way where you're not trying to replicate the song. You're playing the song in the moment. Yes. And you're often trying to capture either the emotion or an image out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I mentioned Given to Fly. That's actually a song he wrote while he was surfing. And there's a lot of surfing imagery in that song and um it has a momentum like waves crashing and that's one of the things i really like about pearl jam is 
they're influenced by classic rock. They're influenced by punk. They're influenced by, um, you know, more of the folk singers of the the seventies. You know, Ed's a big Cat Stevens fan. Like one of my favorite covers that he does is Trouble, uh, which is a Cat Stevens song. Um, so in, you know, when I hear him saying promise land or something like yeah. that, that's just, he's the same age as I am. So the same music, I think, means the same thing to him as it does to me. You know, music's very specific to <clears throat> what you're experiencing in your own life. Yes. Too. So for me, you know, Pearl Jam came along when I was in my mid-20s. And the thing I always like about Pearl Jam is there's anger there, but it, it's anger that's cathartic. Yes. Often in, um, in the, the writing you're moving through something, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I also appreciate that Ed has actually written songs that are th- from a point of view of a woman, which is rare. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that I wish <laughs> they wrote more of were love songs, but they don't really write love songs. I mean, there's there's a few. Um, right. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like The Who, where their love songs can be really screamy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but uh, so so to me, there's definitely some influences. It, it, and I think a lot of it just comes back to fundamental writing, uh, because I think, you know, Bruce follows in the tradition of, you know, poetic songwriters yes. before him as well. I mean, the other thing I was just listening in, you know, doing my homework, doing my Bruce homework for this show and I was listening to um, a, a live show of Bruce that was from, oh, I think it was Omaha, Nebraska, okay. uh, because it had Nebraska songs in it. They were, it had like Johnny 99 and Atlantic mm. City and I'm not sure what else, but, uh, but and State Trooper. Um, yeah. And I was really pleased to hear sort of how he'd evolved those songs Right. Because they're not acoustic. They're yeah. practically, you know, this gospel revival sort of reimagining, you know, yeah. um, that it, it's a it's a great evolution to their songwriting um, and, you know, how Bruce is interpreting a song. And so to me, when, you know, listening to that show, it's like Bruce, I, I'm, I read this quote somewhere where he's like, you're trying to get people out of their seats and lift their spirits. Right. And I think that's similar to what Ed wants to do at a Pearl Jam show. Yeah. I think it's a little bit different because um, <laughs> I've been to shows where Ed's been a little angry. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and not angry at the audience, but angry with what's going on in the world. Maybe. Yes. And it comes across in the set list in terms of the intensity of it. Or whatever, but there's a fundamental belief, I think, by both of these artists that music elevates you. It, it can bring you places you didn't think you could go, and it's you know fundamentally positive and hopeful. Even when you're talking about dealing with loss and pain yes. and betrayal and stuff, so I think that's a that's part of the reason why <clears throat> I think a lot of people who um, like Pearl Jam certainly like Bruce Springsteen, if not the other way around. Yeah, because, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, that even Nebraska, which is a bleak, 
you know, album, you know, Reason to Believe is on there. I mean, even there is always hope in Bruce's music. And it sounds like, and as I, the songs I listened to, um, Wendy was very sweet and gave me a Pearl Jam 101 and 201 and 301. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she gave me plenty of information. And, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed um, the cross section of the songs you gave me. And, and this has been really informative. Um, I am going to make you um, pin it down. I'd love for you to send me a one show that we could put in the show notes that if anyone wants to hear like what would be a, and not a typical show, cause you just said everyone's different, but a good show that if you wanted to kind of have a Pearl Gen experience, you could, you know, click on that and kind of listen to it. Okay. I can do that. I bet you can. And and also, um, you know, definitely it's very easy to go to YouTube yes. and Google, yes. <laughs> which is what I did to uh, to pull together some stuff. Because I wasn't aware if you knew how much Ed loves Bruce and how many times he's covered Bruce. Well, um, so I don't know if you watched all the videos I sent you. I, I watched but, um, most of them. And I especially love the when the... <laughs> When the stage was shaking, yes, I was at that show, they and they said, and they said that only three other bands had done it, and one of them was Bruce. Yeah, and yeah, so, and- uh, yeah that was hilarious. Well, the funny thing is, so so I was at that show. It was at Madison Square Garden, and um, <clears throat> the song that the stage was bouncing was "Do the Evolution," and um, at the time. You, know, you could feel it in the venue. You could feel everything moving. Yeah. And, um, you know, but the band wasn't moving around a lot on the stage, which is unusual for that song. Usually Ed's kind of jumping around. Yeah. So, and at one point he literally like bent down on the floor and was like feeling the floor to figure out like what was going on. So then he tells a story about how they said, yeah, only three other times has this happened one was iron maiden one was bruce and one was somebody else that i can't yeah. remember and uh but then the funny thing is the next time they came back to madison square garden which is like three or four years later they wanted it to do it again yeah. <laughs> and so and so dude the evolution comes on and ed is telling this joke like the first time this happened we were really worried because they've had bad things happen at pearl jam shows and um in uh, Ross killed in Denmark, they mm. had fans that were um, killed because the crowd crush happened at this giant festival. And um, it really traumatized the band. They got really um, hardcore about crowd control and, and security and stuff. So when they actually opened up to general admission in the front, a lot of people were worried when that first happened, but it's right. been totally fine because they've done a great job of controlling it. But um, <laughs> when we went back, Ed was telling the story about like, we were really worried, but we also just couldn't wait for it to happen again. <laughs> and of course it did. Yes. So, so yeah. yes, I was aware of the uh, connection and I shared this before we started recording, but Nick Massey is the host of, um, Cover Me on E Street Radio on Sirius XM. Um, every week he does a cover show where either has Bruce doing cover songs or people covering Bruce songs. And um, he talks about Pearl Jam as his favorite band 
all the time. And he says, I can't do a show without, you know, Eddie Vedder doing a Bruce song. And I just thought it's a little funny that he's hosting a Bruce cover song, but he just says, yeah, you know, Pearl Jam's my favorite band. And so, <laughs> um, and I've heard some great. And um, so it, it does seem that there's a wide range of musicians that kind of do treat um, Bruce as an elder statesman, but at the same time, he's still, as you mentioned, his new albums are really good and he's presenting um, interesting music. So, Wendy, this is a blast. Thank you so much. This was everything I wanted to be. And um, as we talked about when we do Game of Thrones, when we're doing the pre, you know, warm up before we start recording, you know, I was telling her about the podcast and I said, you know, I think I want to have you on. And she said, I'd love to do that. So I'm glad this happened. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? Uh, well, first, thank you very much for inviting me. I hope I haven't inflamed the audience with any controversial statements. Not at <laughs> or, all. Or, uh, I, I certainly don't don't want there to be any rivalry between Pearl no, Jam no, no. And, and Bruce, because, uh, like I said, I, I think they're re- I think they're relatives in a lot of ways. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I am Wendy Hembrock on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me at Wendy at tuning in to sci-fi TV.com. I am one of the co-hosts of tuning into sci-fi TV podcast, which is a weekly podcast talking about genre television. Uh, we also do some bonus shows. One of them is about game of Thrones. Uh, we're also probably going to do some more this year about other, uh, topics in genre too. I'm hoping. Yeah. One of my favorite kind of side projects Wendy did is they did a great episode of Agent Carter. Um, that's just one of my favorite discussions you guys had about the show. And, and now Wendy's waiting for Pearl Jam to tour the U.S. or someplace where the old timers won't want to go, right? <laughs> well, I am eagerly anticipating a new album. I'm yes. hoping it's about time for a new album. Uh, but also I am anticipating seeing some more live shows for sure. Would love to go see them in Europe someplace. Um, my, I have one friend who's from Colombia. She really wants to see them in South America, Ooh, which that would be, be nice. cool too. Uh, yeah. But, you know, who knows? It, the next stop might be Dallas. Yes. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, yes, and we Bruce Buds are waiting for a 2016 tour. Please, Bruce, please. It is, he keeps sh- uh, showing up at other people's uh, shows. You know, he was at the Jackson Brown show uh, before his birthday uh, last week, which was just so fun. If you want to be on the podcast and talk about Bruce or your favorite musician and all that implies, please send an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page. Check it out. And we appreciate you going to iTunes to rate and review us. It helps us find listeners. And for now, I'm going to thank Wendy, and I'm going to close with, and he still gives his love. He just gives it away. Uh. The love he sees is the love that is saved. And sometimes is seen a strange spot in the sky, a human being that was given to fly. Yep. One of my favorites. Thank you so much, Jesse. This was wonderfully fun. Yes. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Come on, rise up. 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 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 